Good morning, diners and them homebodies, house huggers. You're listening to On the Menu with Ann and Peter Haig. And we're going to start off our uh, show today with what's becoming an ongoing series that is highlighting uh, the various people in our industry that are rising above the crisis and doing really good. And we're going to start with uh, Spencer Warren, um, who is, uh, we call the program the uh, Free Meal Pandemic Meals Program, but uh, that's that's not what he calls it. We can listen to what he calls it. Um, But it's another example of where our industry, the hospitality industry, has is so generous and always rises to the occasion no matter how bad the crisis. Let's listen to Spencer. Yes, we're, we're going to be interviewing, um, I always say we're an old friend that it's true, um, Spencer Warren, um, who is, uh, represents the Warren Neighborhood Bar and Penn Cove Eatery in downtown Pittsburgh. And we're sort of doing a roundup of all the uh, efforts that the, the hospitality industry has undertaken to uh, provide need the needy meals, um, people who need meals, free meals, uh, service industry workers, and so on. And, I mean, there's a, a loose national association for this, as I understand it, Spencer. Um, but it's, my first thought is it's very typical of the industry itself that, that all you people band together. And that's yeah. what it's about, huh? Yes. That's the most important part is supporting the restaurant workers and then moving on to, as you said, the frontline food to the hospital workers as well. It's just grouping together and, you know, you you jumped in. You really jumped in fast with this. Once they closed the restaurants, tell us a little bit about the background of this. So when they decided, they announced they were, we heard the rumors that they might be closing down the restaurants on that Friday on that Friday, and then Sunday was when they announced they were closing them and no one could be open on Monday. Um, and by that week, by the end of that week, we were already doing meals. We were working on donations. Basically, that Monday, we were working on how can we get Because the restaurant industry has been affected the most. Tell me about it. And they're also the first to jump in and, and offer their services. And they probably yeah. have the slimmest margin of profit anywhere. So yeah. they're very the vulnerable. Yeah, definitely very small margins. Um, but one of the things is we were just trying to figure out how we – it first started is how I can feed my staff and make sure my staff is okay. And then it kind of went, well, what about our friends who come in all the time? What about these other restaurant people? And it turned into how can we get it so we can feed as many people as we can um, while they're out of the job? Because fortunately for us, we have our wine and beer shop and our takeout food that we've been able to maintain and stay open. Right. Um, so right away, so that first week we put it together. I worked with a bunch of liquor companies. It started with um, Spayburn Whiskey was the one who said they would support and buy meals for our staff. And then it turned into, well, why don't we do meals in a shot? Since we are in the restaurant industry and that's what we do. We end up obviously drink a lot. Um, well, you you so, were very, uh, you were in the forefront of our whole uh, cocktail scene development here. And then um, you're tied into national, national contemporary cocktail movement as well. 
Um, yes. But you do something a little bit different from other cities. I mean, I'm, I'm saying every city pretty much has one of these going now. But you also provide a shot of booze. <laughs> yes. Tell us about that. Well, we decided, so it started off as just doing the, hey, let's get people a free meal. And then because the state of Pennsylvania cut off all alcohol, so the general public couldn't even go to the store and get alcohol, we were like, well, we can, our, by law, we're allowed to give away our first, like your first drink free and when we're normally uh-huh. open. So that's what we turned it into. Well, oh, is that what you could do? I didn't know yeah. that. You can give away the first drink free. Huh? Yeah, you're allowed, you're allowed to give away one free drink, but it ha- it's called the first drink because you can't incentivize someone to drink. So that's why you can't do buy one, get one or anything like that because then that's okay. encouraging them to drink in excess. Is that a local Pennsylvania thing? Yes, that's a Pennsylvania law. But I've never, they are the most obtuse things I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. How it all works. Yeah. And yeah. Closing, closing the uh, liquor, state liquor control board stores was really a genius move. <laughs> you yeah. haven't been able to get hey. anything but a busy signal online since they closed. Well, what, fortunately for me, it's good because exactly? we have the wine store. Spencer, what's, what's your deal? I mean, do, do you have a special license with the PLCB? Yeah. Yes. It's called a wine extended permit. So we are allowed okay. to sell up to three liters of wine to go. So you, we turn it into a shop. Uh-huh. And then we can also sell the beer. So we can, you, we, you can come in and shop, and we, this week we're launching it, so you'll be able to get it online too. But you have to, you have to physically come and pick it up. We're not allowed to deliver. Uh-huh. I see. Um, okay. Yeah, the state of Pennsylvania got rid of their largest revenue source. I wonder why they don't have do money when they close well? the stores. The way? Can, we cannot sell liquor. Can you do liquor. liquor as well, Spencer? No, we're not allowed to sell liquor. Okay, only beer. Um, but on May, I believe May 11th, they are the vote goes to the Pennsylvania Senate to vote to approve for us to be able to do cocktails to go. Oh wow, that's exciting! Uh, yeah, passed the House in an overwhelming vote, but then the Senate uh, Senate goes back into session on May 11th, so that's the next time they'll be able to vote. Huh. Uh, and then it has to go, and the governor has to approve it. But hopefully, we can do that. And then we can do cocktails to go. That's a whole other thing. <laughs> Well, you know, I uh, I was reading that you've given out something like 3,500 meals since you started we're about, this. We're at about, we're about 4,500 meals just to the restaurant workers, and we've done about 1,000 meals to frontline foods in the hospitals. And then starting next week, we're starting to do 412 Food Rescue and doing 300 meals a week to areas that people can't get stuff like in, like an area like Homewood or some areas that just don't have the grocery stores. And the grocery stores aren't oh, getting wow. stocked fast enough. Yeah, yeah, I love 412 Food Rescue, by the way. They they just got some kind of an award from, um, uh, what is it, Fast Company, I think it was, magazine. Yeah. yeah. Well, and yeah. They, they've been in front of the United Nations uh, for innovation. And, uh, they're wonderful. Um, did you ever have a clue that it was going to be this big a deal? I mean... Uh, no, honestly, it was kind of, like I said, it was kind of just to help my staff and some of the other downtown restaurants originally it was just, Hey, we're going to do this little thing. And, you know, we had it figured out for, to cover two weeks basically is where we started. We're like, all right, well, it's supposed to be closed for two weeks. We'll probably get 50, hundred people maybe topped coming through. And then it turned into, you know, seven weeks later, we're still doing it. Um, you know, explain how it works. You post a, and, and the other restaurants donate things to you also, right? Yes. Yeah, so we, we post our and menu producers. every day. We have, 
And so we get other, the main, most of it's produced at our place with our staff, but like this week especially, we have seven different chefs doing menus from other restaurants. Um, so basically when, when some of the restaurants closed, they would donate a lot of their stuff that was going to turn and we would make it into something. Um, and then they also, some of them will come in and just donate their time and we can drop stuff off to them and then they can cook there and then I'll pick it up and we'll deliver it out. Like we had Dianoyas yesterday because they're only open Wednesday through Saturday. They gave us all of their leftover gnocchi that was going to go bad. They would, it would go to. bad for them because they'd have to wait until Wednesday. We served it last night, gnocchi and chicken parm um, for the meal. And then it, also Iron City and Icy Light gave us a bunch of cases of beer, so we gave a beer yesterday instead of a shot. Uh-huh. Well, so, I mean, it's, it's, it, it, you must feel just good about your industry as a whole and your colleagues, huh? Yes. It's, I, so I'm, I'm truly amazed by the, the support we've gotten from all of these other restaurants and from people. And, the, and it's, you know, some of the stories we hear from the people come in and come for the meals. They tell us basically the, they, the only thing they eat sometimes is just that meal. And it saves them enough money that they can pay their phone bill because over a month's time, it saves them $100 or $200. And I, that way they can keep in contact with the outside world. Otherwise, who, do you, think, one, who yeah. do you think comes in for these meals? Do I get to say anything? No. <laughs> uh, apparently not. I mean, do people actually they, they actually come and eat in the restaurant? Uh, no, they do not eat in the restaurant. They They're not allowed. They, ha- okay. they come in and they could take the shot in the restaurant and then oh. they leave. They take the stuff with them. Right. Um, it's, a war- it's a warm meal. Uh, it's also made, we try and make it so they can heat it up as well with right. containers that you can put right into the oven if, if they don't go home and eat right away. But you're maintaining um, social distancing. Yes, yes. So it's yeah, just like can... as if they come in to get our takeout orders or anything else. They come in, they come to the counter, they have a shot sitting there for them and the meal sitting there for them. And it's usually an option of some type of meat and a vegetarian. We always have a vegetarian option as well. I mean, I think it's just so amazing. You had a sandwich option I read too the other day. Yeah, I think we did uh, grilled cheese and soup the other day, and then one of our reps uh, did pecan pie for us. Our Jim Beam rep, made, he and his wife made pecan pie for us. Who did that? Our Jim Beam rep, like our like our represent, like the guy who our sales rep from Jim Beam. Really? Um, okay. Yeah, they've been making desserts for us, and then we have like the thing that's nice about this is it's given my staff other jobs like. A bartender can't really work right now, but one of our bartenders, she makes the bread pudding for us, and then she works our counter so that she gets her hours and still can make money. Um, like our general yeah, manager. That's another benefit of this. You're, you're keeping yes. your, your, your staff hard and working. Yes, and we're actually bringing on three more of our staff because these meals end up taking up basically two people's in the kitchen their whole day um, uh-huh. between the – uh, service industry meals with the shot, and then with the hospital meal, meals and frontline foods, you know, with the, it's all, like with the hospitals, they're very specific about, like, what we can pack it in, making sure it's, you know, we try and give a healthier option for the hospitals, so the sandwiches, like the chicken caprese sandwich, uh, it's like a nicer, crisp, clean sandwich that they can eat quickly, and they can just grab with their hands, they don't want to, like, sit down type stuff, so we give them with, like, a side of fruit, like, fruit salad that we make we get you know fresh fruit from somewhere in the chip districts in the strip district um 
Yeah, so it's nice to see, like, our whole community kind of coming together in different ways and people taking on different roles than they normally would as well. And, so that, and we have so, so many you, people that all volunteer. Spencer, what? you deliver to them here, right? We have, we have this one guy, Paul. He uh, takes orders and delivers all across the city. Yesterday he had to deliver 65 meals, so it took him about five hours to get the deliveries done. Jeez, wow. Uh, he goes this, he's gone as far as, like, the almost the airport to, like, downtown to the North Hills, and then he's gone all over. Um, so we have the nice the, thing. The way? You're, deli- you're delivering to the hospitals as well, right? Yes, we deliver to the hospitals. We pack it up and drop it off. Uh, Red Cross delivers for UPMC. They pick it up. They picked one up today. We did, I think they had 50 meals for uh, UPMC Hospital in Cannonsburg. Um, so Red Cross delivers for them, uh, but we deliver to all the other ones. Now, uh, how do people get involved with this program? For You need to tell us, our listeners, you need to tell them your website. Yes. Yeah, so if you go to www.thewarrenpgh.com, there's on our website. Um, there's a click. There's a link for donations. Um, you can donate anything. I think from a dollar up to a couple hundred dollars. Um, the biggest thing we always need are to-go containers. And that's where we spend a lot of our money that comes in. And then to-go um, containers. Huh? Mm-hmm. Yes. And then like Gordon Food donates protein to us every week, so they've been amazing. Breadworks yeah. has really been donating a lot of bread for us recently, which has been amazing. Um, now, what tell so, yeah, me about Gordon Foods? I'm not what? familiar with Gordon Foods. Gordon Foods Services, uh, GFS, they have a store in Robinson, but they're like one of those, commer- they are commercial like food purveyor. Uh-huh. So that's where we get, we can get like our clean supplies, we can get meats, we can get um, all different types of things uh, through them. Like we can get coffee, we can get, and that's where we get our like kind of their, their wholesaler. I guess they're our wholesalers the best way. Um, so they, they're a company that like probably delivers some stuff to Giant Eagle type of company. So, no, so they, the, the website, um, your website also lets people who need these free meals to, to sign up? Uh, it says that they can come in. The biggest way to get it is our Instagram and Facebook, the Warren, at the Warren PGH. Uh, they can see what the meals are. They can come down. All they have to do, they don't even have to tell us they're coming down. All they have to do is show up with some, show some form of proof that you work in the restaurant industry. Uh-huh. Uh, whether it's a pay stub, your schedule, old schedule, or something like that, and you just come in and pick up a meal. We people, we also, for a lot of the um, bartenders and kitchen people, like the cooks and the servers and stuff, we that have families, so they don't have to bring their kids down every day. We'll put together a grocery bag for them so they can, you know, we'll put pasta in there, we'll put some chicken in there, put a bunch of fresh fruit, bread, everything, kind of put a grocery store, grocery bag so because I know the, the one woman who comes down comes down probably once a week because she has two young kids, and she's like, it's just hard for me to get down here. She lives out in Robinson and drag them down here. It's like a big, huge thing. So, like, we need, so like she doesn't have to come down every day. I like your answer to the somebody. Somebody was recorded as asking you how long this is going to continue, and what, what did you say? I will continue until the pandemic's done or I run out of money, whichever comes first. <laughs> Hopefully not the latter. <laughs> um, but I've, you know, I've been blessed to with Miracle, the Christmas charity bar that we do. I've been blessed to have all these bartenders and servers and people volunteer and help me. So now it's kind of my way of paying back and being like, thanks for all your help and support. Um, I've owned restaurants. My first restaurant I opened in 2004, um, and that was a firehouse. And then I opened Embry in 2008, which is the one where I got national publicity, like you were talking about cocktails earlier. 
um, was Embry and then Acacia. And then I've worked for other restaurant groups like the Deschamps group. I did the Butcher and the Rye stuff with them. And now I'm, now I'm blessed that we've had the Warren and Penco for about two and a half years. And we're doing well. Like, but I mean, our business is down probably 75%, but that's 75% of our business was the bar. Um, we were a bar with food. The one thing that's been like a blessing disguise for this is people realize how good our food and how, you know, what our food is, is so they get to try it and see what we're doing. Um, well, most people just associated us with sushi before. Well, li- listen, right. listen up, listen up, listeners. This, this, this man needs, deserves your support. So, so, so when this social disaster is over, remember rem- to put the Warren Pittsburgh on your list of places to go and uh, tell them on the menu sent you. And it's in re- fun. In, re- in, re- <laughs> in recognition of the great job you're doing supporting Pittsburghers. Thank you. We're, we're trying the best we can to kind of bring our whole community together and keep people, you know, cheerful. That's where the shot and the beer helps. You know, yeah, that's it. <laughs> I mean, Cheers. some people tell us they, they don't. Yeah. I mean, some people tell us they basically haven't had a drink because they can't get liquor in, you know, six weeks, and they come in and get a shot from us. Like, this is the only thing I've had to drink. Oh. Um, and the thing that's nice about it is because it is a lot of bartenders, they – take care of like all the, they, a lot of them do donations uh, through the website to help take care of, you know, the per, Paul who's driving or my staff who's doing the stuff. They'll tip that way. Um, but yeah, and, and another thing, like we had a, a restaurant um, donate, they just went and brought us a bunch of groceries. And like, you know, that's another way people can donate. Like if you just go to your store and be like, hey, here's a couple heads of lettuce. I mean, we take it, like the bread, we take it from a sandwich. It turns into uh I think well, the one week we got a ton of bread from Breadwork. It went started off with sandwiches, and we did French toast because we did breakfast for dinner. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Then we turned it, and then we did bread pudding the next day. Then we have croutons for a Caesar salad, and now it's breadcrumbs <laughs> to bread, bread chicken with. So we take it and extend it as many ways as we can. Oh, well, Spencer, I'm, I mean, I'm just so proud of you and the community and um, the industry. But again, it's a we're talking to Spencer Warren, and um, you can contact. Do the two contact points again, Spencer. The, uh, so uh, the website easiest, and then the, way is the is the website is uh, the warrenpgh.com is yeah. the easiest way to donate, um, and then you can also order like for our food online on that website too. So that helps maintain and keep money in just supporting a local restaurant. Um, you can go to our Instagram and Facebook, and that's at the Warren PGH, to be able to see what we're doing. You can uh, reshare to help get the word out there if you have neighbors or someone who needs something. And then you can always call in, too, at 412-201-5888. Uh, people can donate or do, you know, help. We Like I said, sometimes it's just having someone help volunteer to drive some meals because sometimes, you know, it literally can take five or six hours of delivering just to get it covered for how many meals we're giving away. Um, but we're at, like last night we had our best meal, best night yet because we did about 190 meals last night. Jeez. Um, yeah, we average probably about 120 to 150 meals a day that we give away for that, plus the restaurants with frontlinefoods.org and then soon to be 412 Food Rescue, who we've supported through Miracle. The Today Show calls people like Spencer heroes. Well, I agree. We're, 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 we're on his team, and uh, 
we're so glad he's out there and we're sure that maybe we'll bring more of the story before this pandemic is over I don't know but it's, it's, it's good to know that Americans take care of Americans and Pittsburghers take care of Pittsburghers and food and drink people take, take, take care of each other there's no question about that all around the world Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. Welcome back. Next up, um, here's somebody, Angela Garbaus who is baking, as almost everybody seems to be during this pandemic, except she happens to be a professional. Her book is called Perfectly Golden, which I guess references the fact of what baked goods are supposed to look like, and also uh, the name of her Lincoln, Nebraska rest at bake shop called Goldenrod Pastries. Um, she has some wonderful bits of interesting tips to give you if you're one of those right now making our hearts out <laughs> making your hearts out she has this book that, that really brightened my day to read it called Perfectly Golden, and that's the name of her restaurant in Lincoln, Nebraska, and it's the, the her her standard for perfectly produced baked goods, and um, it's yeah I I started out asking you um, about something that's irrelevant to your whole book is but I noticed. At first, when I saw all, all the, all these wonderful photographs, actually, um, center around hands actually doing something. And, and I noted that, um, you had yellow fingernail polish on, and I thought that was because it was golden, because that was the name in, in your, um, big shop. And, and then as I went on to the next chapter, I, I found that the color of your nail polish changed. <laughs> Tell us about yeah. the nails. I just thought it was so fun to try to find some cheerful colors that were either golden, um, with the book Perfectly Golden, or my shop Goldenrod Pastries. It kind of went along with that. Or, like, some, I think there are some some blue nail polish throughout the book. Yes. I just wanted to kind of keep it fresh and keep it fun. Well, it is fun, and, and I've raved about these uh, photographs, and you were telling us about the photographer. Can you tell us about him? Yeah, so Daniel Muller is an excellent uh, photographer. He does a lot of portraits and wedding photography, and he actually did my wedding photography, which is how I first met him. And um, we started working together when I launched my, my website and my blog in 2013, 2014 area. And yeah, so we've done every Goldenrod pastry photo shoot that I've done has always been with Daniel Muller. And we did 
all of the photos for this book in, I think, five photo shoots, which were pretty long. Each of those were about 10-hour days. And I think that the photography is a huge plus of this book. Whether you're a baker and you're planning to bake from it or not, I think the photos are make it a really, really special book to have either way. Well, I don't bake, but I'll tell you, they make me hungry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I agree. Um, you, you, you started out baking at an early age, influenced by your mother and your two grandmothers. And uh, you even fell in love with food television so that you had to pretend a food show, television food show, um, influenced by, uh, what's his name, Bam, Bam, Bam. Emerald Lagasse. <laughs> Yeah, Emerald Lagasse. Yeah, yeah. We we actually uh, we've known him for a long time. Actually, we ate in his kitchen in his namesake restaurant. In um, oh wow. Yeah, yeah, in uh, New Orleans years ago. I mean, I haven't talked to him in years, but he's a character. So, but you know, he inspired you to to do this pretend um, television cooking show, right? Well, yeah, so the Food Network had just launched when I was about five years old, and Emerald was, of course, one of the first people who was on the Food Network, and my best friend Ashley and I were totally entranced by it. We wanted to learn how to chop onions and make our own show, and we also <laughs> fell in love with, chopping onions. And with the show Cooking with Two Hot Tamales with Mary Sue Milligan and oh, right, yeah. and we're, and we're like, oh, my gosh, these two women have a show. I guess we should just film one in our parents' kitchen, too. So that's what we did. <laughs> well, It never then, went anywhere, but, if you were wondering. But you grew up surrounded by desserts. There was, no, there was nothing um, negative attached to them. And so it was just a regular part of your life. Uh, you were inspired by kitchens. Um, and I think you like the atmosphere of, of the bustle in, in a kitchen because that's what you like in your, in your own bakery. Um, and, and you decided to take a break from Lincoln, Nebraska, your hometown, and go to New York City. And you studied at the uh, the culinary, New York Culinary. Which, what's it called now? French Culinary, uh, French culinary Institute. It's called the International Culinary Center now. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, and you you also work jobs and kitchens on the side. You got really hooked on all this, and um, right. you you dreamt of having a uh, your own bakery, right? Yeah, from, from a very a long very time now. And, and and along came um, you, your blog. You did your blog, but you you developed a um, an a dairy allergy, right? Right. Yep. And so I knew that I I loved treats so much and had grown up with desserts almost after every meal, um, thanks to my mom. And I realized that I couldn't eat those anymore. I couldn't eat the things that I had gone to school and learned to make and learned to just make my entire life. So I knew that I had to find a way to bake things for myself. So I started a blog um, to share those recipes, and my business quickly grew through social media. I was sharing recipes and pictures, and um, I'm here in Lincoln, Nebraska, and very quickly after I started posting what I was making, I had people reaching out to me to make gluten-free donuts that somebody hadn't had in 30 years or a birthday cake that somebody, like somebody's 
daughter had never had a birthday cake in her whole, whole life because she had to be gluten-free. And so I started developing recipes in my kitchen. And at the time, I was also working a full-time job in, at a local biotechnology company doing marketing. And, you know, I needed to make money. I had a degree in sci- food science. And so I translated that to um, to that job. And so I was working my full-time job and then I was baking before work and after work and running deliveries and grocery runs over my lunch hour and doing, doing wedding tastings on the weekends. And so I realized pretty quickly that I needed to, needed to open a storefront. Now, why, why did you leave New York and go back to uh, Nebraska? I love Nebraska. I love the space that we have here. There's a lot of space to to be creative, and I knew that I wanted to be close to my family. And, yeah, I just knew that I had to come back. And I also don't come from money. I didn't have extra money, and I knew that financially I would be able to have a better chance to open my bakery here than I would in New York. Right. And now, did you meet your husband in New York? No, so he's from Nebraska as well. And he, okay. right after high school, he went to culinary school in Oregon and then decided to come back to Nebraska as well. And we both went to school for food science here. Yeah, he's he's a food scientist as well, which is... Now, the, the thing that I've told you before is that uh, I admire most about you is that um, you're not doing this particular kind of baking and let's, let's sort of define some of it which is um, gluten free when it matters dairy free if you need vegan if you'd like if you'd like um, because you believe in this as a philosophy you're setting out to, to bake all inclusively not just because of that's a market for it or anything like that. You truly believe in this. Right. Yeah, I think that it's important to include people at the table, give them a seat at the table, so to say, so to speak. I think that it's important to, to feed as many people as you can. And I know that when I stopped being able to eat dairy, I felt very excluded from a lot of restaurants and a lot of meals because I couldn't eat the same things or I felt embarrassed by asking what ingredients were in something. And I wanted to create an environment where people felt safe and welcome who have different ways that they have to eat or choose to eat. And so Goldenrod and the whole theory behind Perfectly Golden, my cookbook, um, was to create kind of a voice and a place for these people to to feel comfortable. And, and also you're into empowerment for women, Right. Yes. I mean, girl power, very important. So I, I woke up one day, um, about three years into Goldenrod, and I realized that I was working with all women. And I had never been in a situation like that before where I felt really happy. I, you know, I talk about this in the book, too. I had been bullied a lot growing up by other women, and I had never felt really empowered by other women. And all of a sudden, I realized that I was in this space at Goldenrod and I was working with other women, and it was the most wonderful environment I had been in. And, you know, maybe that's because it was my own environment, but I was able to see leadership and growth and empowerment between my, my team members. And so I really latched onto that, and I said, okay, you know what, this is a really great time and a good opportunity for us to show people, to show other women 
that you can empower each other, that you don't have to feel like other women are the competition, that we, when we all, when one of us succeeds, we all succeed. And, you know, it was very cool one day I was at a dinner party with some people I really didn't know too well. And a woman came up to me and she said, I have a daughter who's a senior in high school. And she came home the other day and said, my I, mom, I just went to Goldenrod Pastries and it was all women working there and they were so happy and they were working so well together. Uh, that really made me feel good. And we've ha- heard that a lot since then from young girls, women, older women, like anyone. And I just think it's as women, we've all kind of had experiences that with other women that made us not feel great. And I think to be able to set an example yeah, you of said that women before. working. I mean, you must have had a mean crowd in high school. I think I talk to a lot of people who have been through that, and I think being able to set an example for women working well together is really important. Let's move on to one of the most valuable things about this book is that you are so experienced and you've done so much research um, that you give tips that are really meaningful tips. You have this how to use this book section, which I love. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I think that, I think we talked about this a little bit ago too. I really believe that it's important to learn what you're looking for in a recipe and what you're looking for in a product. And, you know, the, the time for baking and the time for rising and, um, the temperature of your oven, those are all really important points that I do include, obviously, in my cookbook. But I think it's also important to know what you're looking for. And if your cookie dough seems like a little bit sticky, I explain to you what sticky means. And if you if you touch the, the raw cookie dough with your finger, how it should feel on your fingers. So if it doesn't feel that way, I give you tips on how to, how to fix that. And then it's the same way with um, yeast risen doughs. Like, what are the what are the things that you're looking for in your product, in your dough, when it's rising, when it's baking? And I always tell my bakers when they're starting, we don't use timers. I won't give you exact measurements for some things. We're going to kind of just learn and help you become intuitive along the way. And it's been very, very cool because then you're not stuck to these, these limitations that you give yourself. You actually learn about the product and you learn about the ingredients and how they should behave and how they do behave. And so I think that was very important for me to put in the book and to kind of give people the guidelines and some basic information that will hopefully help people to be successful, not only with Perfectly Golden, but with other baking projects that they have as well. Yeah, now you've done so much research on uh, ingredients. I mean, you know so much about ingredients. It's not easy, is it, finding substitutes or the perfect performers? No, it's actually very hard because there are so many. One thing that I question that I get a lot from people who have to be gluten free is, well, I already have this gluten free flour. Can I just use this one because it says that it's like you can use it cup for cup and. That's not true. Every gluten-free flour is completely different. And so when people make gluten-free products with just any generic flour blend, you might end up with not such a great product. So there's also a, a section in the book that kind of outlines the commercially available products that we use, the gluten-free flours, why we use them, and the ingredients in each of them and why they work really well. So 
I want people to get away from the mindset of like, oh, well, I already have this gluten-free flour. I can use it for any recipe because, A, your recipe just won't turn out great. And you, and I think that kind of inhibits you from being confident in the kitchen. And what I really want to to, to have people see from this book is some, to gain some confidence and to really feel good about what they've made. And, and you have the section, of course, with Angela Says, which, where you convey all kinds of information. Yes, each recipe, I think almost every recipe, has a section called Angela Says, and there are tips on um, the substitutions, if you need to make substitutions for your diet or your preferences. And there are also little tips of, like, when I was writing the recipe, I thought about what would I tell my bakers when I'm training them on this recipe? What are the little tips for um, for how could you make this recipe better or different? And so I, I really like that, that section. I think that it's important when you're reading the recipes, always read the Angela Says section because it will give you some good tips. And, um, I mean, you name brands even because you've used so many different kinds of brands like uh, Bob's uh, Red Milk. Uh, flour and stuff, and it's, yeah. I think we have, I think I have baking soda, Bob's Red Milk baking soda, actually. Um, King Arthur flour you have here, too, the gluten-free. And and something that I said before I really agree with is that salt is very important. Most people wouldn't think about putting salt in in sweets or pastries, right? I mean, I, I hope that they're thinking about it, but I do think that sometimes um, people think that you only need the teeniest pinch of salt. And you really need a good amount of salt to round out the flavor of what you're making. And you can make one recipe without salt. And we've had this happen at the bakery where somebody makes a batch of, say, a pound cake, and I try it, and I'm like, there is something very wrong with this. And then we realize we walk through like, okay, did you add this? Did you add this? Okay, did you add salt? Oh, no, I forgot the salt. And you, I really recommend to people, if you have the extra time, the extra product, make a small batch of something with salt and without it, and there's a huge difference. And once you do that, you will never forget to put salt in your recipe. I'm pretty heavy-handed with my salt, as you'll see in some of these recipes too. Now, of course, the, the really invaluable thing also about this book um, is the recipes themselves. And um, what are some – and the signatures are included from your bake shop. Um, tell us what some of your signatures are. So our morning buns are super popular at Goldenrod, and that's the first place that people run to when we open in the morning. We always have cinnamon rolls. That recipe is in the book. Um, Our crumble buns, which is a sweet roll dough that is, before it's baked, it's filled with homemade preserves or curd, and then we put a coconut oil crumble on top and lots of glaze. It's super good. Um, So our buns are all in there. I would say our cookies are super popular, which we're able to still ship online nationally right now, which is a blessing. Um, And actually one of the more popular items at the bakery are our cookie sandwiches. So that's any of our cookie recipes that are in the book with a corresponding buttercream flavor of your choice. We have some recommendations as well, like a chocolate chip cookie with coffee buttercream is amazing and super popular. (laughs) Or... um, 
the peanut butter cookie sandwich that has actually a flourless peanut butter cookie and then a dark chocolate buttercream in between. This, your little notes are called You Do You. Why are those, why is that included? Um, so we have the You Do You section, which I think is, it was a great idea that came from my publisher so that people can quickly look at each recipe and see if that's a recipe that works for the way that they eat. So it's a little list that says dairy-free, gluten-free, vegan, traditional. So let's say you're going to the um, double chocolate cookie page. You'll have every box checked. It can be made with butter and all-purpose flour. It can be made with um, vegan butter or shortening and gluten-free flour, and we have a recommendation for how to make a cookie with a flax egg, which is just ground flax meal in hot water to make a really nice gel that works as an egg substitute. So that you do the use section is a really great way to quickly glance at a recipe and see if it's something that's going to work for you. That's great. But, you know, I'm, I had one up on you. I've long, long known about hummingbird cake. <laughs> Oh, I love the hummingbird cake. Yeah, you said you didn't know about it, but I guess our kids lived in uh, South Carolina for a while, so I got to know about hummingbird cake. And I'd like to conclude with saying um, your your book concludes with this absolutely moving essay by your mother. Tell (laughs) us about that. Oh, I'm so glad that you liked it. Um, My Mom is an excellent baker. She's an excellent cook. She is a very wonderful writer. She's a a trained uh, journalist and technical writer. And I knew that I wanted to include her memories in the book and an essay from her. So I said, Mom, can you write something for the book? Thank you. I'll tell her. She'll love to hear that. And I said, can you write something for the book? And she's like, well, Angela, what do you want me to write? What on earth would I add? And I said, why don't you just write an essay based on your experiences cooking with strong women in your life? And you can tell we have very different writing styles. Mine is very emotional and hers is very factual. And something that I think is so important is that we talk to the people in our lives who we baked with, who we cooked with, who we've had whatever wonderful, memorable experiences with, and we write down those memories or we ask them to write them down because they're so important. And for me to have her essay and her memories of what she was making with each member, each woman in her family, and which season she was making it, and the, the sensory memories that she has from those moments, I will treasure that essay forever. And I'm so thankful that it got published. And oh, yes. I really hope that it inspires other people to have the, the important people in their lives write down their memories or to talk to them about their memories so they can write them down. Well, Alicia, I'm so happy to be able to talk to you and to meet you because you're an inspiration, too. You're, um, again, it's Angela Garbas, and it's perfectly golden, uh, subtitled Adaptable Recipes for Sweet and Simple Treats. And uh, it, everything is also not only um, according to everybody's dietary needs, but also delicious. So... That's a single, double, triple, quadruple plus. 
Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. Our last interview is with Amanda Fredrickson, who I never knew before, but now that I know her, I was really impressed that she's sort of my psychic twin. We had the same ideas about so many different things. Um, her book, Simple, Beautiful Food, uh, listened to us talk about some of these tips and tastes that we share. Uh, Amanda Friedrichson, I, <laughs> your book's Simple, Beautiful Food, really um, struck me <laughs> dramatically because I've, I said to you that we're psychic twins. We we have the same taste, <laughs> the same concerns. I'd stalk my pantry exactly the same way. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, you Tell us a little bit about your background. Sure. So you've done I, everything. Uh, I wanted to, to know: Did you get around to opening a, a, a restaurant? <laughs> um, well, it is going to open. I'm just a little delayed at this point. We're, I mean, we're trying to figure out what the new normal is going to be oh, um, no. going forward, making sure that kind of everyone's health and safety is the most important thing. Um, it yeah. was never going to open until um, May, and so I think we'll here we just, are. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I know. We'll probably move it until like July just to make sure we're on top of kind of any of the changing things that are constantly changing. But um, I come from like a career changing background. I used to work in nonprofit fundraising and events. I worked at places like the Met Museum in New York and the San Francisco Ballet. Um, And I always loved food but never knew how to kind of make it my career. Mm -hmm. One day I just kind of woke up and I quit my job and I went to cooking school. And so I went to school in San Francisco at a cooking school called San Francisco Cooking School. Um, And then from there landed a job in the Williamson Emma Test Kitchen where I developed recipes for the home cook for about two and a half years. Yeah, and then from we there, somebody um, from Williams-Sonoma and, and San Francisco headquarters. I can't remember who it was, but she was really wonderful. She was... Uh, oh, good. Hmm? It's a, she it was, was a, a fan of, of um, Rancho Gordo, and I, of course, I love Steve Sando, and it was just about yeah. the time when, when they started handling his products. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, I well, can't remember I love who it was. His, his product, too. Um, and Lime was such a great place to kind of start my career in the food world. Um, and really yeah, with Nashville, though. I just heard somebody raving about Nashville. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah. Um, it's great. But we ended up here about two years ago. My husband got a job, and um, I'm originally from South Florida, so it was nice to be closer to my family. We were in California oh, right. for a long time. Mm-hmm. And so here... Um, I wrote the cookbook here, and then, yeah, we're opening um, a fast casual, like, fast food restaurant um, in July at this point. Uh-huh. You're going to have Nashville hot chicken on the yeah, menu? It's, it's going to be wild. <laughs> I'm not sure. Part. I mean, I think there might be, like, um, a spin-off of it, but since we're kind of focusing on, like, wholesome food, I'm not sure we're going to do the whole fried chicken thing. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, do you know, we, we of course, um, we used to cover the – Nashville, what did they call it? Music City 
cooks or something. What was that rabbit? I forget. I forget what it was called. It was music. It was City the Sunday. food and wine and music mm-hmm. festival in, in Nashville. Oh, cool. Yeah, I I don't remember when the last time was, probably about three years ago that we covered it. So, but it was always a great time. Yeah, it was, uh, um, yeah, of course, it was phenomenal how all of a sudden all those restaurants opened. I guess they're all closed now, right? Yeah, I mean, I think everyone's trying to pivot to figure out what, like how to sustain business. Um, A lot of them are doing to-go or delivery, or family meals, um, but I would say probably half are still open. Oh, okay. Well, that's 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 a good that's a good yeah. sign right there. Yep. Huh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think people, I think people like to cook, but I'm not sure they want to cook for every meal. So I, I think that there's some hope for restaurants. Mm-hmm. Well, there are some there are some great places. Yeah, the, there definitely City, is. City Grill we liked, didn't we, sweetheart? Yeah, I don't remember which. Well, of course. We like, um, um, what's his name, from New York, his place, named after his mother, remember? Adele's. Oh, um, Adele. Adele's. We like mm-hmm. Adele's. We like the Sean Brock's place. Yeah. What, 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 was, what was the one where everybody sat around a, a, in a square? Oh, 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 the, um, yeah, what's, it, what's it called on upper table? You know, it's, um, what's the catbird seat. Love catbird seat. seat, that's it. Oh, yeah, I actually have not been there, but I've heard great things about it. Oh, it's wonderful. This was about three chefs ago, though. They seem to have big turnover. I don't know. So. Um, oh, yeah, with chefs. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, I mean, the, this one, uh, he was an Irish chef who had worked at Noma in uh, Copenhagen. And, uh, oh, cool. and he was doing that. He wasn't the opening chef. That's it came right after that. But anyhow, back to this book, Simple, Beautiful <laughs> Food. Um, that title says something right there, is that you think that food should be simple. It should not be complicated. Mm-hmm. Um, it should also look good. And, uh, it, I mean, I think that you're, you don't want anything. You like to keep down the number of pots and pans and dishes. I think everybody yeah. wants that. Um, yeah, there's some special my... things about this. That, um, you oh, say recipes you. and riffs or everyday cooking. Um, and, I mean, you're straightforward in, in everything. And is that your daughter in the photo? It is, yes. Oh, <laughs> I have two daughters now, but she was, thank you, um, a little over a year in that oh, picture. Adorable. You know, I mean, even, you know that dress you're wearing in that photo? I mean, I think I had that dress. <laughs> I love it. Well, great minds, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. So that was the first thing I saw. And and then, I mean, your priorities were the same as mine. And and um, I'm, I'm talking about your, your pantry staples, for example. Um, oh, good. It, first on the list is acid and fresh herbs. I feel the same about all of this. Oh, good. I'm so glad that it it resonates with people. I mean, that's kind of how I like to cook, and I've figured out my way and kind of my mark in the food world. And I think that um, food should be easy. And I have so many friends that that come to me, and they say, I don't know what to cook for dinner. I don't know what to make, or how do I even start? And so I was really writing this cookbook um, for them. Well, you you do. I mean, you're really straightforward about it. You even provide a shopping list with each recipe. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's part of the the trick of having the stuff yeah. in the house. And I think um, you know we I you know I love to cook. I love to spend all day in the kitchen, but. You know, as I got older and I started having kids and it just wasn't a possibility for me anymore. I needed good food, delicious food, fast food um, quickly. And so that's kind of where the idea for these recipes came from. And one of my pet peeves is when someone writes a recipe and isn't thoughtful about the number of pots and pans that need to be used. No one wants to spend like all day cooking and then all day and all night cleaning. So that was also a priority when, when thinking through these recipe ideas. Another similarity, you love beans. I do, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have a lot the of those around. Beans are pretty easy with bean recipes here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and another preference, chicken thighs. I mean, I recently, yep. stocking up for the uh, the virus isolation or whatever it is, I bought uh-huh. 20 pounds of chicken thighs. <laughs> <laughs> and they're in the for a while. I love it. Then not to be outdone, she bought another twenty pounds of Yeah, and I bought the That's amazing. Well, I mean yeah. I think it's a really forgiving cut of meat. Um you know, everyone says they want chicken breast, but chicken breast is overcooked so quickly it doesn't have a ton I don't of flavor. Like chicken breast. Um, I don't have any flavor. Yeah, chicken thighs I think are you know, oftentimes they're cheaper than the chicken breast. And they're also just a lot more forgiving. Um, if you overcook them, it's totally fine. Or as an overcooked chicken breast, it's just like so dry. <laughs> so, and then in your equipment list, um, I'm I'm also a, a fan of cast iron. Um, oh, good. Dutch oven. And in fact, when I was pregnant, I, the doctor said that um, I had the highest uh, iron. Um, reading in my blood of anybody who's ever seen pregnant. And I think it's because I cooked in all these. I have all my grandmothers and mothers. I was from chewing the edges of the pot. The what? I bet you have chewing the edges of the pot. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I bet you have some amazing pieces in it. They were just handed down from your family. Oh, yeah. They're they're actually, I I tried this. the lodge, which everybody raves about, you know, the pre-treated ones, mm-hmm. whatever, they're not nearly as good as these the really grudgy-looking things that I've had for ages. Yeah. We gave it, we gave it to our son, and he doesn't like it either. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So I actually, is, um, I work closely with stove. I wrote the stove cookbook, which is cast iron, but it's enameled cast iron. Um, and I, I mean, I have a lot of those pieces, and I love it just because of ease of use. Well, I loved it, your pictures. I mean, I know you did the cookbook with the stobware, and, mm-hmm. and you had the, the photographs with the stob. We swear by it. <laughs> we have one that Peter uses all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. Well, I, I also, oh, I love I also like my Emile Henri part, too. Oh, the yeah, that's one? the great one. The Emile the red one. Yeah. So... How do you organize your book then? But it's clever in that you don't just say breakfast. You say recipes to start your day. Now run us through the organization of the book. Yeah, I mean, it actually just kind of came about when I was thinking of recipes. You know, like I, um, I wanted something that was kind of for everyone that wasn't just dinners or wasn't just, you know, Sunday suppers. I wanted it to be not only playful but just kind of recipes 
um, for all different types of meals during the day, and that's kind of where it came from. And then I didn't like the idea of just straightforward breakfast. I wanted it to be like a little more playful. And there are different types, you know, of meals within breakfast. They're like kind of brunches or light bites or that sort of thing. Yeah, I just um, kohlrabi Caesar salad you have in here. I just um, I, we got a, a delivery of, of um, farm stuff from uh, Chef's Garden, and oh, I, good. It, he he has kohlrabi in there, and I never cook kohlrabi. And then we had it came with so many radishes, and there are only two of us at home now. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't know what to do, but I cooked them together. Those radishes. Just pickle them and keep them in the, the fridge. If you just use a pickled red onion recipe in there, if you just swap them for I saw that, a pickled red onion, for, yes. Yeah. And well, then I kohlrabi, to... I agree. There's a, a restaurant in town that used kohlrabi just shaved really, really thinly in their Caesar salad, and that's kind of where that inspiration came for that recipe. Um, I see. You know it's just like a super crunchy lettuce-like way that you just shave them really thin, and you can eat them raw. The other thing that's intriguing about your book, you can tell you're a writer as well, is um, you have the title of the recipe. So you have a kohlrabi Caesar salad. And then you have a, the, the description, but not like a head note, like you, I get tired of reading head notes. It just says... Yep. Three words, briny, tangy, crunchy, and that's all you need. <laughs> that's all you need. And I personally don't tell anyone, but I hate writing head notes. <laughs> I yeah, feel like I too. say the exact same thing. And so I felt like just keeping it really short and sweet and um, just using adjectives to explain what the taste will be like or kind of the process will be like um, made it just streamlined it a lot. Yeah, I mean, they're very creative, though, too. I mean, I like... The butternut squash and caramelized onion galette with goat cheese, you say, comforting, rich, tangy. (laughs) Makes me kind of want to eat it right now. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Well, I mean, I think that the, the, um, the, the recipes themselves are really noteworthy, too, because they're not, they're not routine in a way. I mean, they're, they're simple, but they're not routine. And you, you give oh, a number you. of riffs on, on various things, like riffs on a party platter, and there are different options. Um, and then the other part I'd like is the, the, the very, what do you call it, in the, in the back, the gold, what's that called? Uh, the what? And you've, and something gold, what's it called? Oh, flavor gold, yeah, that's one of my Flavor gold. Tell us about that. Yeah, so um, kind of thinking about how I cook and things that I store in my refrigerator, I was just thinking of, of like condiments and spices and drizzles that I use on my food to elevate it, and I came up with the idea of flavor golds, and it's just a bunch of different recipes that I always like to have stocked in my fridge that can kind of easily add flavor to any dish. You know, it could just elevate that dish really, really easily. Yeah, another thing that... Um you include in here another one of my most favorite things is the preserved lemons. <laughs> mhm. And one of my all-time really, favorite things. Is it me too? But your recipe is totally different from mine. Mine, um, I guess, mine came from um, 
what's his name in San Francisco, actually. Um, Murad. Murad. Is it Murad or something like that? Murad. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I never ate at one of his restaurants, but he has, was a well-known chef uh, there. Did he use olive oil in his? Um, no. he. They, well, I mean, there are variations, but the basic recipe um, is just the lemons and a lot of salt and lemon juice. Okay. And he doesn't um, put them in the, you, you keep them out in a dark, cool place, turning them over regularly and pushing them down so that they, the lemons stay um, submerged for mm-hmm. a month before you actually put them in the refrigerator. Oh, gotcha. I know. I just put mine, I'm sure they can be left either way. It's just out of a habit that I always put mine in the fridge and, yeah. and just to kind and of keep them cold in there. Yeah, the other one works. I mean, it actually, they soften really fast. Oh, good. I'll have to try him. I love his food. Yeah, I do too. His his cookbook, the first cookbook, is the one where I got that recipe. So you have Um, a lot of other little things that elevate your day-to-day cooking, like pistachio and peanut duca. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yep. It is I mean, delicious. Sort of, it's just like a little sprinkle you can put on anything to kind of just make it absolutely delicious. It works on salads, kind of pieces of fish or chicken. Um, it's just an easy way, and it stores in your pantry forever, basically. Um, it's just an easy way to add flavor. The other thing you do is um, you, when you're cooking artichokes, you use mint, and I do too. <laughs> Oh, good. I know. I love that combination. That, that I paper do too. is the perfect combination. So what are some of your favorites in this book that you would like to call out? I, I didn't have the – there's one of the, that I really wanted to do, except I used up all those radishes yesterday because we have Arctic char for dinner. And, and that oh, looks nice. like a great recipe. Yeah. I love that recipe because I, I – I don't think many people would think to use mayonnaise as just kind of to coat the fish with and have kind of toppings stick to it. Um, I love that recipe. It works with salmon as well if you can't find Arctic char. One of my favorite recipes, I've got a couple, but um, all off the bat, there's a sweet and savory yogurt bowl in the breakfast section. Oh, yeah, I like that too. That, yeah, I'll just eat that any time of day basically. Um, it has feta. It has Greek yogurt in it. It has fruits, um, vegetables, and you kind of serve it with a big chunk of fresh bread and it. it's like heaven and then i also love the crispy um chicken cutlets it's a play on oh, right kind yeah. of like the fried chicken cutlet and it's just delicious and you can make it in the in the oven you don't have to fry it and it's really really good now, i think you should call out also your dessert section oh yeah sweet because <laughs> you've got some really nice and they look easy because i i never i fall apart for dessert because i'm not I'm not really a sweets eater, and um, so I probably I love, I love it's not my bake. strong point. But you're I love you're, to get, yeah. They seem oh, very thank you. I love to get lost in a recipe, a baking recipe. Uh huh. I think it's a great way to kind of just zone out and just kind of be in it. Um, there's a couple. Basically, I love actually all of the recipes in the dessert section. Um, but my birthday cake is what I make for everyone birthday that I love. Like I, I just made it for my husband and my daughter's birthday. There is a cracked cookie bark, which I think is a fun Oh, yeah, I like that. Tell me about that. Yeah. I thought that was odd. Yeah. 
So the backstory is I have a friend here in Nashville. We were going to a cookie exchange a couple of years ago, and she's a busy mom, and she just texted me really quickly, like, does cookie dough freeze? And I said, it freezes really well. Just scoop it out, put it on a sheet tray and freeze it, and then just throw it in the oven when you're ready to bake them. Well, I'm not sure if she messed up on the recipe or the recipe just had too much butter in it, but um, <laughs> when she went to bake them, they just all became one big cookie. And so she couldn't even bring them to the cookie exchange, and I felt so bad. But I love the idea. It's especially fun for kids or family or, like, a you know a shared dessert just to have one big giant cookie that you can kind of, like, tear off um, and eat or sprinkle over ice cream or that sort of thing. So yeah. there's just it's, you can obviously make them in individual size, but it was just a fun recipe. Yeah, it's sort of like the people who figured out that everybody wanted the, the crisp bits of the brownie pan. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, and then you get your favorite part. Like some people like the edges. I'm like a center of the cookie person, so you can kind of pick and choose, and if you're with your family, you can just grab it and not worry about taking the centerpiece. <laughs> That's great. Well, you had fun writing this, I can tell. And, uh, it was. I think it was that, really fun. Yeah, and I think that, that it's going to be a really useful book for a lot of people. And, um, oh, good. Thank so you. So I highly recommend it. And I'm just looking. I keep seeing more things like I missed the smoked trout hash. That looks wonderful. Oh, that looks so good, too. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, well, I, I wish I you success with, with, with the book. And what about thank you so much. The, restaurant? the what? Thank don't you. Forget, don't forget to wish you success with the restaurant, too. Well, I was going oh, to do that next. So, I mean, so again, <laughs> it's, it's Amanda Fredrickson. It's simple, beautiful food, recipes and riffs for everyday cooking. And I think listeners will find this really inspiring and easy and it's going to okay. be a big support in the kitchen. Thank you so, so much. And I good really luck with the restaurant. Okay. Let's Thank keep you. keep us posted. I will keep us posted, Amanda. definitely. Okay. So thank you for talking to us. Of course. Thank you so much. Um, I appreciate your time and, and help um, supporting the book. Right. Thank you. At the same time, same place next week. Is on the menu radio saying for now. Bye bye. <laughs> bye bye. And and just do your best to cope with all these evil circumstances, just like we're doing, and keep your keep a smile on your face if you can. I'm smiling. smiling. <laughs> Miss Miss Anne, Miss Anne is smiling. You should smile too. And in the meantime, as I say, we'll see you same time, same place next week. <laughs>